Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to week three of Life Hacks Relationship Edition. And I want to talk to you today about something that makes all of our relationships great. And if we can figure this out, it'll change all the relationships that we have and that we interact with in our life. So, but before I go there, um, I'm a huge history lover. I'm a history nerd. I love to study history. I love to watch history. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is watch YouTube uh, videos on history, especially World War II history. So after World War I, and after Germany had pronounced war on Russia and on France, and World War I ended, um, what happened right after that was something called the Treaty of Versailles, and it happened in Paris, France. And the Treaty of Versailles... Um, the, the goal was to put such strong and tight repercussions on Germany for starting the war that they wanted to pay Germany back for everything that they did during World War I. And so they took like 13% of the, the land away from the country. It was a big demilitary, um, uh, all kinds of, you know, big words that I don't even know. Um, but they essentially said, you cannot build a military anymore. Um, the economy was crippled. And that's about the same time that the Great Depression happened in the United States and really across the world. And so after World War I, Germany was in a very, very tough spot and very angry, very bitter, very resentful over the Treaty of Versailles that had happened. So along comes a guy named Adolf Hitler, who becomes the leader of the Nazi party. And what happened was you've got this strong right party that felt like they were uh, treated so harshly and they were so bitter and so angry they said, we're going to do something about it. So they began to pull the country up by its roots and really begin to rebuild all of Germany. And they, have since, looked at everything about the Treaty of Versailles and said, we don't care what you think, and we're going to go and we're going to take what we want. And Hitler, I don't know if you've studied much about him, but as you well know, he had something called Mein Kampf, which means my struggle. And he had this ideology that he wanted to create this thousand-year right, and he wanted to take over Russia and all of Europe, and he wanted it all to be Germanized, and he wanted that to be his kingdom, per se, right? And so what he began to do is he began to just take over country after country after country in all of Europe, and he would terrorize them. And he would just go in and just, you know, wipe them out like he did to Poland. And some countries were like, hey, come on in and we're not even going to resist you because we don't want you to destroy our country. But what happened in World War II was Germany began to take over all of Europe. And this one little country, this one little country that refused to bow to this terrorist named Adolf Hitler was England. And England had a prime minister called Winston Churchill. Check this out. This is Winston right here. Great dude. Great man, right? Winston Churchill was the prime minister of England at this time, and he was facing lots of threats from Hitler. Hitler was uh, threatening him, that, hey, we're going to come over and we're going to take over your country. Um, he was trying to bait him into negotiations, and, and Winston Churchill was like, nope, I'm not going to do it. You cannot negotiate with a terrorist, right? So, um, a lot of people were pressuring Winston Churchill 
to give way to the Nazis and just let them come into England and take over the country, even people in his own political party. So, so he's facing all this pressure. All of Europe has essentially fallen to the Nazis. Even people within Winston Churchill's own cabinet are telling him, hey, just give up. Let's just, let's just concede and capitulate and just let the Nazis come on in. He's like, no, 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 no. And, and now we have his famous speech that we all know through history, and this is what he said. He said, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets, and we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And this was the speech that Winston was able to rally the whole country of England around to say, no matter what, we are not going to give up. And he was in a tough spot because the context of this quote isn't the way that we hear it today. We hear it today and, and we're thinking, you know, the victors write the history books and we look back and, oh man, that things must have, you know, things must have been a little difficult, but, but hey, they won, right? Well, when he made this quote, people that were close to him, they didn't want to, they wanted to surrender. When he made this quote, Hitler was breathing down his neck. When he made this quote, all of Europe had essentially said, we've, we've given up. We cannot fight the Nazis anymore. And that was the context for this. And even the United States told, the President Roosevelt told Winston Churchill, look, the United States does not want to get dragged into a war. So this guy is all by himself until Pearl Harbor happened, and it pulled the United States into the war, and Germany attacked Russia, and then, you know, Operation Barbarossa turned into a whole another situation. Nazi Germany couldn't fight that many people, and eventually they were defeated in World War II. But what's so powerful about this quote, and it's so powerful about Winston Churchill, is he rallied the country to never give up. And if you're like me, I love never give up stories. I love stories where we, we think about where our metal is tested and, and we don't give up. Maybe it's for you, it's a, it's a situation where you are working a very difficult job right now and you're not giving up and you're staying in it and you're not quitting. Maybe parenting is driving you nuts and you're not giving up and you're going to stay in it. You know, um, Maybe you're pursuing an education and you're working and you're married and, you know, all kinds of things are going on and life is difficult, but you're staying through. Maybe in this COVID-19 time, you know, your life has changed for you, but you're not giving up. These are the stories that inspire us. These are the stories that we tell our children. These never give up stories. We love them. But I want to take a hard right turn. Because the other thing I know about never give up stories is there's another thing called don't give up relationships. And why is it we get so excited about never give up stories? You know, when people don't give up and they face a lot of criticism or, or, or a lot of um, struggle for what they're wanting to accomplish and they pursue, you know, we celebrate that. But why don't we celebrate people who stay in relationships for a long period of time. Why don't we do that? We love to celebrate stories that of people lasting and persevering, but why don't we celebrate the relationships in our life that go the distance? 
Here's why I want you to listen. I think God has some things that He wants to teach me and He wants to teach you in this lesson and through the Scripture today. So one of the reasons why I think we need to listen is because I feel like we have a lot of used-tos in our life. Um, if you're like me or, or some of you, um, you, you, you used to have a certain friend or you used to to be married, or there was somebody you used to get along with. It's like longer than a CVS receipt, right? And that's pretty long. But but there are people that we used to do life with, and we don't do that anymore. And in, in, in some of those cases, there was something that happened in that relationship. And you're familiar with this, right? Somewhere along the way, that relationship hit a bump, and it just kind of threw everything out of whack. And then you just kind of emotionally packed up, which, and I've done the same thing before. We just kind of emotionally packed up and went, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to find somebody else. I'm going to do whatever. And I think there's a higher way for us to live instead of going from used to, used to, used to, used to people, right, in our life. I think God wants to call us to something better. The other thing that I think we deal with in our relationships is... I think a lot of us start our relationships with good intentions, right? When you got married, when, when you went to school and started developing friendships, when you uh, think about your family, your mom, dad, you know, uh, brothers and sisters, whatever, we all start with good intentions. All of us do. And then along comes VUCA. And the way that I describe VUCA, this is an old army term, and VUCA means this. It means volatility uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. This is what VUCA means. You know, our relationships are doing fine, and then along comes something volatile. Like, okay, let's just look at what's happening in our culture right now. This is a volatile move. It was a hard right turn. All of a sudden, things changed quickly. That's volatility, right? The other thing that we feel is uncertainty. I was on the phone with somebody yesterday in our church that is facing a certain situation where she's going to have a, she's going to be having a meeting with somebody very soon, and it's bothering her to the point. And one of the things that she said was, "I can deal with a lot of things, but I don't like dealing with uncertainty." None of us like an uncertainty, right? Volatility, uncertainty, complexity. Life is just complex. Relationships are complex. Marriage can feel um, complex. Parenting can can feel complex. Having friendships and managing those relationships can often feel very complex. It's not easy, right? It's a very mature thing to do to be able to handle relationships. And then finally, it's ambiguity. You know, things are just not clear sometimes, and we don't know what to do, and they feel very ambiguous. And so you you stack all this VUCA on top of relationships that we have in our life, and it's no wonder that sometimes we feel like just throwing in the towel and just giving up because it's tough to persevere through some of these things right here. So what would God say? What would God say to us when He's trying to encourage us to be able to take steps that make our relationships great? I think the Apostle Paul had some words um, that he wrote in 1 Corinthians. 
And one of the things that you'll know um, quickly about the scripture that I'm getting ready to read is if you've read anything on, on love in the scriptures, you're going to know exactly where this, uh, this writing came from. It came from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, this is verse 7. But Paul is describing what love looks like in relationships. It's very difficult to define love outside of some of those obvious definition, God, you know, God is love, Jesus is love, you know, those kinds of things. But but we know that cerebrally, right? But what does it look like when you're seeing love happen, right? So the Apostle Paul says, I want to describe to you what love looks like in a relationship. Okay, so as I'm reading this, I want you to think about your relationships in your life. And see if what I'm getting ready to read matches anything that you actually live in reality, right? So Paul says, love never gives up. In other words, when you see people deciding to stick it out and be with one another in relationships, you are watching people who love each other. It never gives up. It never loses faith. It always, it is always hopeful and my favorite word on this screen, and endures through every circumstance. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we can be hard to love. There are things about me. There are probably things about you. I'm sure there's not many. But we can all be very difficult to love. What I love about this verse is Paul says, love endures through every circumstance. This tells me that life is going to throw a lot of things at me. And it's going to throw a lot of things at you. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to understand that love endures through every circumstance. And here's the life hack. Here's the relationship hack that I think God wants to teach us. This is it right here. Don't give up. Don't give up on your relationships. Don't give up on your relationships. This is the life hack. This is what makes them great. When you can have that enduring mindset in your life about your relationships that you're not going to give up on them, it changes your perspective. And you begin to walk into those relationships with a different perspective to say, I'm here for the long haul. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to quit when things get hard. I'm in here for the, for the duration of this relationship, as long as we're going to be alive, I'm here for it. It endures, right? I saw this uh, quote this week. Cretia and I were talking about this message, and we were talking about this quote, and uh, she actually gave it to me, and I love it. She said, God's love can endure real life. And I was like, that's powerful. I, I love how she said that. God's love can endure a real life. And that's a message for us that I think is we need to understand. God's love can endure real life. The other thing I thought about too when it comes to not giving up is sometimes you got to wait on great. When it comes to not giving up, sometimes we got to wait on great. And if it's not great now, we get frustrated, we get upset, we get mad, mad at ourselves, mad at the people that we care about, that we're in relationships with. And because it's not great now, we lose patience. And you got to wait on great in your relationships. I think this is what God is telling us, especially in this scripture when he says it endures through every circumstance. So don't give up in your relationships. Now, 
What is the action step that I think we could take from here that would help our relationships not give up? Well, if there's one tool that I think has helped me in the past and that I think could help you in the future moving into your relationships that you're evaluating right now, not wanting to give up. The one tool that I have found to be so helpful in my life is called grit. Grit is the tool that I've seen God use to help people have great relationships. People who have great relationships, they have grit. In other words, they're able to be able to put up with a bunch of stuff and be patient in the process and endure through every circumstance and be able to love people through that. And because I'm a big fat nerd and I love acronyms, GRIT stands for something. And each letter of the word GRIT stands for something that I feel like helps us in our relationships go the distance. So G, I want to start with that. And the, the G of the word grit, G stands for ginormous amounts of humility. And yes, ginormous is a word because I looked it up on Google this week. Ginormous amounts of humility help our relationships be great. Uh, Philippians 2, love this verse, L- love this verse. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul says, in your relationships, have the same mindset that Jesus had. And what did Jesus do? He humbled himself to the point of death, and God raised him to the highest seat there was. There's a correlation, there's a relationship between the more humble we become and the higher and better our relationships get. I was thinking this week, one of the things that kills our relationships is ego. When we have an overinflated self or sense of self-importance, It causes us to criticize. It causes us to manipulate. It causes us to think that we are better than we are. It causes us to do things to our relationships that unintentionally or unconsciously pushes them to the edges of our life. And if we're not careful and if we don't, you know, check our ego, essentially means I, if we don't check that, then we're going to ruin our most important relationships in our life. And I feel like the thing, the number one thing, this is that why this is the first letter in the word grit, the best thing that helps our relationships go the distance and not give up is ginormous amounts of humility, putting other people first, putting their needs before your own, putting my family, my friends, my, my wife, their needs before my own. It's not about me. And God tells us when we do that, we are paving the way to long-standing relationships. He says in James, he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So ginormous amounts of humility in your relationships. That's the first of grit. Second, the letter R. Here's why I love the letter R. Um, When I was younger, I hated math, right? And as I've gotten older, I've recognized there's a lot of good things about math. I just didn't give it a chance like I should have, right? What I love about the letter R in the word grit is it's relational accounting. Relational accounting makes your relationships great. It gives them grit and it helps them go the distance and you won't give up on them. And here's why I know that. In relationship accounting or relational accounting, I want you to think about this. Think about every relationship that you have you kind of share an emotional bank account with that other person. It could be friend, 
family member, spouse, child, whatever the case may be. So think about the fact that, uh, think about that person right now. Y'all kind of share, you know, figuratively, a shared emotional bank account together. And when you deposit things like appreciation, love, kind words, compassion, conversation, interest, curiosity, getting to know them, making choices for their benefit. When you do things like that for that other person in your life, you are depositing love in that bank account. But everything that we do where where it's a harsh word or we lose our temper or we hurt feelings, everything, everything like that withdraws all the, the things that we've just put in that relational bank account. So I want you to think about in the relationships that God has put around you and that you're responsible for, what are you depositing in the lives of the people around you? Are you appreciating them? Do you love them for who they are? Do you accept them? Do you compliment them? Do you encourage them? Do you inspire them? Every time you do something like that, you're depositing things into that relationship. When you're pulling things, you're expecting things of them when you are, not in a normal way, but in a kind of a rude and, you know, whatever, that kind of way, you're withdrawing from that relationship. And unfortunately, some of us get to the point where we, we withdraw so much, we turn around to the relationship and we recognize we've got insufficient funds in the relationship. And this describes a lot of marriages because we've withdrawn, we've withdrawn, and they won't, and I won't, and, I, and we get to the relationship finally, and there's just there's nothing there because we've withdrawn everything in it. I want to challenge you, relationships that go the distance, that don't give up on each other, have great relational accounting, and they're willing to put deposits into one another that demonstrate they love, they care, they appreciate. And every time you do something like that, you are building that deposit bank up so that when you do hurt each other's feelings, when you do, when those things happen and they're a normal part of life and we we don't intend to, we've got a savings there built up that pads that account, that protects that relationship and helps it go the distance. So that's relational accounting and grit. The letter I is... Being idealistic about your relationship. Being idealistic about all of your relationships. And here's what I mean by that. I want you to think about your relationships in terms of what they could be and should be in the future. While also at the same time looking at the reality of what they really are. Are. And one of the statements that I love is sometimes we have to face the real, but believe the ideal. When you think about some of the real things going on and some of the relationships that you've got in your life right now, it's, they're, they're difficult. There, there may be some things that have hurt your feelings. There may be some things that you don't even want to talk about because they are so real and they are so raw. And one of the things I know about having a relationship with Jesus that has changed my life is that one of the one of the amazing things about God's love is, is it gives you the power to endure tough circumstances and continue to believe the ideal. To continue to believe the ideal. I'm not saying don't look at the brutal facts because we need to in our relationships because we need to know what reality is. But people who love God 
God offers the kind of power and something called the Holy, someone called the Holy Spirit in your life that helps you face the real in your relationships, but continue to believe the ideal. Once we lose the ability to believe the ideal, I think something inside of us just kind of dies a little bit. And I just want to challenge you, don't lose the ideal for your relationships. Some relationships in your life are going to take 5, 10, 20, 30 years for them to become ultimately what you want them to become. And just because they don't happen on your timetable doesn't mean they're not going to happen. Doesn't mean that that relationship ultimately will not become everything you want it to become one day. But I want to challenge you. It will not get there if you do not ultimately believe the ideal and what that relationship could and should be. Isn't that what God did for us? Didn't God believe the ideal that we could have a relationship with Him? And He had to face the real of the cross, and He made that accessible to us through Jesus. And finally, so not just ginormous amounts of humility, not just good relational accounting of making deposits in one another, of, of, of love, and not just being idealistic about our relationships, but trust. Trust is what everything is built on. When you don't have trust, you are probably not going to have much of a relationship left because trust is, is, is essentially the currency of relationships. And I want to challenge you, think about things in your relationships that build trust. When I think about the relationships in my life, what builds trust is being positive and predictable in my relationships. When I'm positive and predictable, people begin to trust me. When I look at people around me and when they're positive and predictable, I can begin to trust them. If you've got people in your life that are not predictable and they're not positive, they're probably wearing you out because they're not predictable. We like predictable things, right? We, we don't like a lot of change. We don't like a lot of drama, right? We want people that we can trust. And the way that you build trust is when you are positive and predictable. You know, teenagers, if you want to build trust with your parents, are you positive and are you predictable in what you do and your behavior? Parents, if you want to build trust with your teenagers, are you positive and predictable with one another with what they see? If you're in any type of leadership uh, situation in your job or whatever you do, you know, have you built trust with the people that you lead by considering their needs and being positive and predictable and not being all erratic and crazy and making all kinds of wild decisions, right? I want to challenge you, build trust in your relationships because that is where it's all at. And this is a wonderful time to even ask you the question, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? To be able to go the distance, to be able to not give up, begins with us understanding it is all about Jesus. And it is all about having a relationship with Jesus. And not just you and me personally having a relationship with Jesus, but trusting our most important relationships to Jesus. So I want to challenge you, not only do you have a relationship with Him, but number two, have you trusted your most important relationships to Him? I want to challenge you to do that. So, Let's, let's review real quick. What makes relationships not give up? Ginormous amounts of humility. It's grit through ginormous amounts of humility, through relational accounting, 
being idealistic in the face of what's real and building trust with the people that God has put in your life. I want you to take a few minutes after I pray and wrap this up. And I want you to, with the people that you're watching this with, or maybe in your living room, or maybe, um, you know, wherever you may be online somewhere watching this in a Zoom group, you know, I, I'm not sure wherever you are, but I want you to think about of those four things when it comes to humility, when it comes to relational accounting, deposits and withdrawals, when it comes to being idealistic or building trust, which do you feel like you're doing well right now? And which do you feel like God is kind of nudging you to take a step into that direction as a result of this? I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much, God, that you give us something called love and that it endures through every circumstance and that it's not a feeling, but it is a choice that we're able to make. And it's power from you that allows us to go from very real situations while continuing to believe the ideal that you have for our lives. And I want to pray for everyone who is watching this, and I want to just ask God that you would do only what you can do in their relationships and all of their, all of our significant relationships to help us not give up. In Jesus' name, amen.